Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast and your week in sports cars show. I want to say thank you to Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers for their support. And I want to say a great thank you to our brother Graham Goodwin, editor of DailySportsCar.com. Normally we open the show with some lighthearted making fun of one another, saying silly things, light of a lot of rapid changes throughout the world, Graham, ones that also affect us. Our listeners, fans, drivers, everyone in sports car paddock, open wheel, sports, uh, stock cars, drag racing. Not sure if I'm feeling as jokey and jovial right now. Just seeing the impact that the COVID-19, the novel coronavirus, has had on everything that we do and, frankly, the way people live their lives. What's your thoughts? What are your feelings on how this is being felt very close to home uh, very close to home and, and first of all good evening good morning good uh, afternoon wherever you are in the world and thanks for joining us and what has been a, a completely extraordinary day like nothing else i can recall in some couple of decades of dealing with day-to-day matters in this sport uh, things have been moving remarkably quickly the catalyst for that um for the uh, rapid movement was of course statements Uh, early early morning uh, our time here in the UK late evening your time there in the US MP from President Donald Trump which uh, included the um, the travel restrictions Um, I'll give you a quick comment on those uh, shortly in answer to one or two of the questions but that was uh, that was the catalyst for a pretty rapid fire uh, change of uh, action, particularly from the FIWC, who have cancelled, and we'll uh, explain the difference between a cancellation and postponement as we move forward, uh, the uh, the WEC part of the Super Sebring uh, week. I was uh, due to be on a plane Monday, early doors next week. That's not happening anymore. And then this afternoon, uh, followed by the decision from IMSA to do likewise with their part of Sebring, but this time a postponement uh, with a date to come. Where am I on this? Is it yet a global catastrophe? Well, it's pretty catastrophic for those families of people directly involved here, and our thoughts, of course, with them. But um, wherever you are on this, whether or not uh, you are um, possessed by the politics of it, possessed by what's perceived to be uh, a lot of media hype on this and misinformation on this one the reality is people are really dying out there and people are getting really sick out there and when you've got sensible governments talking about 60 to 70 percent potential infection rates i'm in the position here mp where i think you've got a choice as a sport in our case you can either be perceived as being part of the problem and if you want to know what that looks like just put formula one into uh, the search uh, engine on Twitter and just have a quick look at what's going on in uh, in Australia right now and the criticism that uh, the perceived inaction has been having. Or you can be part of the solution. And by part of the solution, I mean not having uh, mass participation, mass attendance events, um, which are amongst the things that most kind of sensible public uh, health responses are suggesting that we do not do amongst other things. So, uh, an extraordinary day, a very sad day in very many ways, um, but 
my view, I think we're at the tipping point where that was becoming necessary. And we're not nearly close to the end of this yet, not just in terms of the the uh, the providing public health emergency, but the net effects. There's a lot more, not just potentially, but I think actually to come. And that will go on for the next few days and weeks. Must admit that my opinion expressed, I believe, at the end of last week's show has not changed drastically. Obviously, we have seen in some instances the mortality rate has increased, and I am by no means numb or or lacking in empathy for those who have been stricken by this and those who are grieving having lost loved ones. As I mentioned last week, and I know many people have said, there's not nearly enough attention drawn to those who die from similar versions of this, less powerful versions of this, the the common flu uh, and such. I guess the thing that just strikes me here, and maybe piggybacks on your sentiment, I understand the reasons why we've had so many cancellations, postponements, or decisions to go forward with only race personnel. Uh, IndyCar right now is planning to race without fans. NASCAR will race without fans. Formula One, uh, we're still waiting to get the exact confirmation as to what they're going to do. Uh, We've had both we're going to cancel, we're not going to cancel, fans, no fans, just waiting on a final, if there's even such a thing, right? Finality is is Mm -hmm. a fairly hard commodity to come by right now in our world, uh, knowing that things tend to evolve so quickly. Other than those that have just chosen to outright cancel, I think everyone that has a belief that they'll be racing here in a few days or weeks or however long, maybe not booking hotel reservations where the they can't be canceled and so on that there's a lack of permanence being experienced right now but I, I guess i understand the reason why it would be seen as negligent or ignorant or otherwise if one major sporting body as we had yesterday with the nba the national basketball association the minute the nba postponed, canceled, whatever it ends up being their season because one player was confirmed to have the coronavirus. That was the immediate signal that everything else in the sporting world, by and large, was going to topple like dominoes. All it took was for one to say, we're not going to do it. And now we've had announcements just talking domestically here, Major League Baseball, uh, the National Hockey League, uh, just up and down. That was the thing that gave everyone the comfort to cancel their sighting. There was one body that stepped forward first. And so I get that. I understand that public image and perception is a thing. I've read a lot of reactions so far in social media, Graham, of folks saying, how could you not? Why has it taken you so long? And why would you put your people at risk when no one else is, uh, seemingly no one else is? So I understand that folks need to fall in line. Just throw in maybe a little bit of quick background behind why I'm maybe not in the, oh my gosh, yes, cancel everything mindset. It's that we've been living on the home front in a manner for the past almost year Mm -hmm. of as if the coronavirus was waiting outside our door and with my wife being immunocompromised (laughs) i'm not laughing because it's funny i'm laughing because it's coincidental but i look at all of the 
struggles that folks are going through trying to get toilet paper and disinfecting wipes and you know n95 masks we look like hoarders almost because we've had to have those things and use those things and wipe everything down before we go out into the world when we come back uh wear those masks washing the hands all the things that everyone is having to do now in reaction to coronavirus by coincidence we've been there for a long time and so by chance we kind of have a pretty significant stockpile because we have never wanted to be in a position where we're running out of name that thing that's critical for us to keep her safe and i've had to do the same thing as you know someone who plays a fairly significant part in her daily care and support i cannot afford to get sick because i would then have to quarantine myself which then makes me unable to help her or unable to help her and puts her at risk. So, you know, that's just been an ongoing thing. So I get the desire. I get the need to cancel pause and otherwise just saying that we've both had to navigate society and do our things, taking great precautions, but not being willing or able to subtract ourselves. So I don't know. I don't know if I have a really super hard opinion on things. I don't know if I know my opinion doesn't matter, but I get it. I understand it. I just know that at least on the home front here, we've had to live life in and among other human beings and interact and, you know, be in places where there's lots of folks. I mean, going to hospitals. Huh, I don't know if you've heard there's sick people there. Uh, we've got to do that multiple times per week. And yet, lo and behold, we have not thankfully gotten sick in this entire period because we've taken great preventative measures so that's just the thing that comes to mind a little bit of background so in thinking of could we go race yes provided everybody who turns up takes those same preventative measures if not if there's worries that folks couldn't or wouldn't well again i can understand why we've ended up where we are so speaking of ending up where we are we have questions we also have not a lot of time So we've got maybe 20, 25 minutes or so to get through some questions, knowing that we have a canceled 1,000 miles of Sebring-Weck race, a postponed IMSA race to November. There are questions about Le Mans and all manner of things. Oh, yeah. Where shall we start since you are the official selector, but we're not really doing categories. We're doing more reaction to some pretty powerful news. Well, let's kick off with one from Claire McCann. Uh, with Super Sebring being moved to November, what does that mean for its place in the WC Championship? And assuming it will be the season finale for IMSA, what does this do for the convergence regulations? I'll leave the convergence bit to your good self. I'll just answer that question we posed to ourselves at the top of the show. There's a big difference between the announcement that's come from WEC and the announcement that's come from IMSA. IMSA have indeed uh, postponed the 12 hours of Sebring to that November date. That's the date uh, that was previously, I think I'm correct. Michelin Encore. Right. So that replaces that in the calendar. It will become the season finale and sets up a kind of uh, winter, uh, almost, you know, uh, endurance festival, doesn't it, really? Come come to that bit in a minute. So, So Sebring will finish the season for IMSA as things currently stand, because other things can and almost certainly will change as well. As far as the WEC is concerned, it is a cancellation. That race is gone from the calendar. 
And the reason for that is, number one, clearly we don't know the end dates to this, let's call it what it is, emergency at the moment. Therefore, you know, you can't replace that with a date in three weeks, four weeks, six weeks, seven weeks. The problem for the WEC, of course, is their season finishes at the Le Mans 24 hours. It's that winter season. So they can't put that race uh, back as a doubleheader in November uh, for two or three reasons. One is, why would you have two Sebring races in a single calendar, which is you know what we're expecting um, if the uh, calendar for next year carries on um, as it should? Um, and two is, it would be a final race in the middle of the following year's calendar. So the reality at the moment is, it's not a practical proposition for the WC to replace that race uh, in the current calendar. Uh, yes, we wait and see, and there's other questions around uh, later races for the WEC. And of, of course, at the moment, it is just a matter of effectively just displacing that ultimate decision to be as late as you possibly can. But uh, the question is well from Claire there is about uh, uh, the convergence process and progress on that MP. I know you had a chat with John Doonan earlier today. Yeah, so the IMSA president told us what had been scheduled, what we knew was coming, Claire. Fr- next, not this Friday, but next Friday, this joint announcement of the convergence technical regulations. It's told by John that not only will that not be happening just independently, meaning through a teleconference or any other method, uh, the date itself is now to be determined. Also said that while in Sebring, knowing that folks turn up a few days before Friday, we have on-track action as well, it was meant to be what sounded like an important gathering of constructors and all manner of folks to really help finalize a few items on the convergence regulations and without that happening now as well instead of having the process in place which was we will see you all next week we're going to sit down cross the remaining t's and dotting the the remaining i's just to get this last couple percent of the process ironed out and solidified without that happening in place they're now having to look at when they can do that just by phone video conferencing and such to complete the process. So we do have a situation where those rules will not be ready, even if they wanted to present them next Friday in a different way. John did say they are going to continue pushing forward uh, as quickly as possible to get to that conclusion so that they can announce them. They just don't have a date for that yet. Yep, that's, uh, I think, well well said. And uh, Thomas Prendergast, by the way, asked a similar question there. Thomas, we wait and see. Uh, hashtag wait and see but uh, i think positive uh, moves in terms of pushing this along with vigor uh, but well i i don't see this as being as major a drama as some others might there are opportunities that are offered by it being slightly less governed by if you like an artificial deadline here but uh, no doubt whatsoever this is a hugely important process for the world of endurance racing both sides of the pond and uh, i would imagine we're going to see some progress pretty darn quickly next up it's uh, statis Kokor, excuse me Kokor um 
He says, shall we now expect a September day for the Le Mans 24 Hours Season 9 to begin in November? That might be ter- perfect timing for the Le Mans hypercar cars to be ready from uh, from SCG, that's Scuderia, Cameron, Glickenhaus, and by Collis, if that programme is true. Uh, do we yet know there's going to be a postponement for Le Mans? No. If you'd have asked me yesterday what I expected to happen with Le Mans, I think I actually said to someone who called me from one of the teams involved here, who've got a pretty critical timeline, I'd have said 50-50. Mm. Uh, I'd say right now, I think it's less likely than that. I think um, at the moment, um, the, the kind of timelines lines we're dealing with realistically, um, I think it's looking a heck of a stretch to expect Le Mans to go forward ahead. I am absolutely aware that there is a plan B and a plan C uh, for the ACO. Uh, we've talked, I think, on last week's show about, you know, if there had to be a short um, postponement, there are the dates set aside for the Le Mans Classic, which I believe is July. August is a uh, point in time which a lot of people have actually completely dismissed because August traditionally is a time when, to be blunt, most of France goes on holiday. This isn't a regular year, and I think that they would be looking to get uh, the great race uh, basically across the line as soon as it's humanly possible. I don't think August is out of uh, kilter at all. September, you're quite right, Status then goes into the um, timeline for uh, the the planned start for Season 9 for the WEC. Might there be some knock-on effects? There might well be some knock-on effects, and that does, you're quite right, have some advantages uh, in a period where the hypercar programmes are really, really pressed for time. Uh, does, however, mean, by the way, if we aren't going racing, that some of those teams have got a bit more time to utilise their engineering uh, and time resource uh, to push forward with some of these programmes at a rather greater pace than otherwise might have been uh, might have been possible. So there's a lot that might emerge from the mix here. The fact that you're not going racing might not necessarily mean uh, that things can't uh, can't actually progress at potentially an even quicker pace uh, for development. So lots of questions still to be uh, asked and answered. I've no doubt that uh, every single time that Pierre Fion and Gerard Naveau put one foot in front of the other in anything like the pub, uh, public arena, this is kind of the next question to be asked. What about Le Mans? Is it at risk? It 100% is at risk, without a shadow of a doubt. Uh, just look at what's happened over the last 24 hours. Um, but do I think it's a sure thing it would happen in September? My guess would be if they can, they would like to get that race uh, if not done at the due date in June, as soon as possible after that. So July and August, I think, are both very much in the mix. Let me grab a couple here from tweeters, knowing that you've been on the book faces for us. going to go to George Allegretta. Hey, George, and thank you for always sending in some really thought-provoking items. He says, do you know if promoters are or even can be insured for force majeure situations mm-hmm. like what we've seen here? Absolutely. Uh, In receiving permits, bonds, you name it. In receiving permission to hold major events on a city level, countywide level, uh, it is standard practice for those things to be required. And it's not just the force majeure side. There would absolutely be 
language inside of uh, those insurance policies, but it's you know the more grave items. What if uh, someone going buck nutty in a green park inside uh, Sebring uh, gets inebriated, falls off a, the truck riding around the infield, and gets run over, and you know is in the hospital for a year with all kinds of broken bones? How does that get paid for? Uh, fatalities and just again the the sad but mundane things that happen with fan injuries uh crazy crashes and such uh, there's all manner of things that major events need to insure for i think i might have mentioned on an episode graham uh when i helped put together a photo shoot and track based story thing for road and track I think five or six years ago, using Alex uh, with Alexander Rossi using Jim Clark's uh, what nineteen sixty seven I think Dutch Grand Prix winning Lotus forty nine. That owner required us to take out I believe it was a five million dollar insurance policy wow. for one day of track action covering if aliens break out of Area <laughs> fifty one and decide to pop over the hill to Circuit of the Americas and just take a bite out of the front of the car. We want that language in there, too. So even for something simple like that, with a highly valuable car, uh, the amount of insurance required is phenomenal. So I would say, yes, uh, maybe there could be, I'm sure, nationally, internationally, there. I'm sure there could be, is it a state-owned circuit or a county-owned park or whatever? Could be some, sure, so there should be some vagaries here, George, but for the most part, you betcha. And so in the case of the WEC, I would not know what kind of insurance they might have been required to contribute to or take part in, but definitely um, they would have to cover themselves. Even if a county or, you know, whatever did not require it. What if, as you mentioned, force majeure, the skies open and frogs fall from the sky? The entire race week, the race can't be held, but you've sold X amount of dollars in tickets. What kind of refunds? What kind of money loss are you going to face from advertisers who've bought hoardings to put up on the crossover bridges and paying them back? I mean, yeah. If there's one thing we can talk about for sure, uh, fear drives a lot of uh, insurance decisions. And we know in racing, we do some pretty dangerous stuff to cover. A uh, little something for you in your your specific world of Bretagne. This comes from Phil at Safe Phil. It says, Graham, uh, will these situations we're dealing with, with cancellations and pauses and all kinds of things, possibly mean gate and viewing online increases for the British GT championship? He says, I will, for one, be switching my attention there. Uh, well, always presumes there's not going to be a knock-on effect on national motorsport. I was actually talking to a team at Silverstone um, just uh, was it yesterday? Yeah. It was in yeah, it was yesterday um, about their uh, efforts to get cars on the grid there, and that they are beginning to take interest from drivers who believe that their planned or proposed European programs might be now at risk and that it might be a little bit like a staycation, which is, uh, I don't know whether or not that's a word that you use across in we do, uh, the States. There you go. It is a terrible, terrible non-word. It's not even one of our twist non-words. Uh, it's not in the twist, really. Uh, uh, but um, I hope we can still go racing. Um, 
the, the difficulty is the more popular racing gets, the more we're going to start to hit the kind of numbers that are causing issues um, at a national and regional level for public health officials. So uh, I hope you're right. Um, I'll answer one other quick question that, that I can't find it now. I did see it earlier, so I don't quite know where it's disappeared to, which is pretty UK specific, which is why was the UK uh, not defined in the announcement overnight for travel to the US? The straight and honest answer is, other than geopolitics, I have absolutely no idea. Um, you know, regular listeners will know that I travel fairly extensively with uh, with the sports. And having come back some weeks ago from a pretty long trip, um, three, three and a half weeks uh, out in Asia, uh, I was working out uh, this morning that that took my good lady wife and I through seven different airports over that period of time. The only airport where there were no checks on the way out and no checks on the way in was London Gatwick. Uh, every other airport we had temperature taken, including, by the way, the um, airport, which is the Thai uh, version of Shitsville Nowhere, Buram, uh, where three men and a dog is a busy day. And there were two uh, nurses there testing temperatures for every single passenger coming off every arrival. And they're all domestic flights, by the way. It's not international flights. So I have no idea why that was deemed uh, to be a sensible public health-led measure. Um, I'm not buying it, actually. Uh, that, to me, was the wrong message to be sending uh, to just about every single person involved here. You know, should take That's a it. moment to say thank you to uh, a super fan of ours, David Cook, by the way, who I've learned has been uh, reaching out to our sponsors yet again offering uh his thoughts and and whatnot so just wanted to say thank you again david for being an invaluable member of our listening party let's go uh, where else are we going to go where am i going to well take I, i'm going to go for go quick one here because it's you mentioned the sponsors this is a very important question it's come from jim kaiser will the, the uh hammer emporium have to close in this current crisis Oh, I know. Uh, we have waited to hear from Christoph it's Bushu, so proprietor of Bushu's Hammer Emporium, the number one fake sponsor of the weekend sports cars. We have not heard from dear Christoph. We aren't sure exactly what's been happening there, but uh, we do hope that he is dipping himself in a barrel of hand sanitizer to make sure that his reign of destruction on goodwill and motor racing uh goes uninterrupted and should we just play the jingle we should we should not go an episode without playing the jingle hammers for you hammers for me hammers for everyone christoph bushu's hammer emporium all right we're back uh thanks again jandra Becca, for the best fake jingle ever in the history of the world uh let's see where else can we go here graham uh got a couple we'll probably throw back your way as we wind down just a little bit uh, you well it's not a question it's just a kind comment from our pal sra smoking puppy 841 ewan uh says rather than a question i'd like to take the opportunity to wish you and graham and every week in sports cars listener the best of health in the up and coming days that's really sweet of you our friend let's go to michael metropolis Graham, he says, what long-term effects do you see this pause in motorsports 
holding for teams and series, etc. I can't imagine that it will help many programs down the road. Uh, I think you're absolutely right. So there's a parallel question as well on the effect on individuals, and that comes from our good mate uh, Johannes Gauglika that talks about the level of freelance talent that's involved at just about every level of the sport. A lot of frightened people out there, not just because of the health risks, but also because of the economic threats that that are actually coming forward. And you know, I've had that conversation with my good lady wife today about what we might need to put in place to kind of look after ourselves. Uh, heard as well, by the way, from a number of European teams that are telling me that with the concerns about whether or not testing and racing would come forward, they're already hearing um, from some of their customer drivers uh, that they would not be appearing for pre-season testing, that there's concerns about whether or not contracts will hold if races don't happen. Uh, so I think we're going to see some dramas, uh, commercial dramas, for a number of operations. One of the uh, the other things to take into account here is because of the now massive restrictions on international travel, I think we're going to see some, some serious commercial casualties in the airline industry uh, from this as well, that uh, it is not at the moment a soaringly successful sector. But going back to Michael's points, nothing that I can put my finger on right now, but I can tell you that I'm hearing more reports than I've heard in quite a while for teams struggling to get those um, those final signatures on contracts at this stage in proceedings. That is quite worrying. Uh, and I've no doubt it's not going to get easier uh, while we've still got a lack of certainty. I think to a degree, if people have got the opportunity to draw a line underneath, um, you know, at an at a, a economically safe level for themselves and I'm not saying write off a season, but certainly ascribe the fact that this is going to be a tougher one than most, then I think that's what most sensible people in this marketplace are doing right now, MP. I don't know about you. Spent about 15 minutes on the phone today with team owner Michael Shank, who competes in both IndyCar and IMSA, and I'll be putting that story and posting it here on Racer once we're done recording. And spoke last night with Elton Julian, who does the same, both an IndyCar team and an IMSA LMP2 effort. And Elton had some very typical Elton, awesome, direct, straightforward (laughs) comments. So his IndyCar team is sponsored they have sponsors paying for that car to be on track in imsa they have paying drivers by and large not all obviously but there are in a pro-am category not a big surprise the ams are helping to bring money know that he just had david hennemeyer hansen cancel uh, on sebring this is last night before anything had changed with sebring but this is what he shared Resource-wise, I don't know if a smaller team like ours survives this if it lasts six months. This is the most important part to take home for so many racing teams. And this, uh, I think, is the best answer to the question. We earn money by being on track. This can become a massive killer if it wipes out our season. And the on-track part, is that is the critical piece. So for the sponsored portion of their business that company and those companies are paying money for advertising value at track hospitality often the lesser reported b2b opportunities 
yeah, we'll give you some money to be on the car, but by and large, what we're doing is gaining access to you and your circle of friends, your business relationships. We want to go mingle at the race and see how many dollars worth of business we can drum up by the pool of people that you're putting together. It's almost like a, uh, one of those, those rapid fire dating type scenarios, uh, except instead of showing up at a bar or a restaurant and changing tables every five minutes, it's often the case where, yeah, we'll pay to be a part of the club. Here's some money to help run your car. But really it's the deals that I can find in the hospitality tent with all the other business owners. That's where the real value is. You turn that off for a long enough period. Sponsors no longer have a great reason to get involved. It does require being able to turn those laps, be on track, have an active event to hold. And that's where the, the commercial value is returned. Then there's obviously the companies that are looking for TV ratings and exposure and being at the track, being able to hand out their products or invite folks into their tent. It's the hand-to-hand, face-to-face side that matters, plus the TV. So in some cases where we have a canceled event, uh, maybe that's not uh, everything they need to stay engaged. The other part is the paying driver, right? We know in sports cars in particular, Graham, some someday we'll have to do the numbers, but we know the vast majority of what takes place at a IMSA race, WEC, ELMS, Asian Le Mans series, etc., involves driver A handing team owner B money to be in that car to participate. Absolutely. If you ain't turning laps, you ain't spending money. So if you think of an Elton Julian and a Michael Shank and a thousand other team owners, they are more than concerned right now. And frankly, it has nothing to do with, oh, I love racing and I'm sad that we're not going to be playing race car this weekend. It's the, the doors to my business have more or less been welded shut and people can't come through to buy our products and give us money, and are we going to be able to stay afloat and stay alive as a business? Each series, again, dealing with things differently. You're going to race, but no fans. And you're gonna, so there's, it's not just a, a strictly linear thing where everyone's in the same boat, but like Michael Shank told me, and yet another reason to love the guy Graham, having gone through the recession we experienced uh, in 2008-2009, He started a rainy day fund, started putting money away because he said, I've been through it now. I know how bad it was and how we barely survived. It's going to happen again. I better start putting money away for it. And so he said, thankfully, that's what he has. And he says, it'll save them for about three months if nothing else happens. And at that point, he's going to have to see if he can renegotiate contracts. Uh, to see if if and what value they might be able to bring to their sponsors and partners. So we're just we're just a day into this for many people, a couple of days for many many of these owners, drivers, and so on. <sighs> I I really truly feel genuinely feel for folks in our industry, but also the folks down the street with the Chinese restaurant in the Indian restaurant, and the the little mom-and-pop hamburger joint. There's just not a lot of people going through those doors right now. And as you mentioned, airline industry, travel industry, every industry, unless you are making hand sanitizer, toilet paper, or disinfecting wipes right now, 
you're probably not profiting and you're probably worrying about how you're going to be able to pay your bills if this ends up really impacting your life for months and months to come. So the the world is reminding us in our little world how what we do is great and cool and fun, but man, we are easily thrown into jeopardy uh, if either a catastrophe happens or massive overreaction by people happens. What we're, we're dealing with real life when, frankly, most days, Graham, you and I wake up and we do stuff that, while it's real, it's not real. It's fun. It's disposable. You know, it's sport. It's entertainment. Uh, we're feeling those effects right now, my friend. Yeah, it's uh, quite often first world problems. It's not that anymore, is it? Let's move to Joe Robertson. If it's, uh, all these questions are rather linked. As far as the rest of the season schedule, says Jerry, the world, uh, what's uh, over the world, what's the likely timeline for future cancellations or postponements? I wish we knew is the honest answer. I think we're going to expect another batch of answers, and I expect them to be negative um, as early as next week. Um, the the next one on in my orbit is the season um, opener for and for that matter preseason test for the European Le Mans series that's due to take place in Barcelona. Um, round two is in Monza. Um, I'm struggling to see in the current climate whether either of those can actually happen. There is a possibility we might see an attempt for some of this stuff to happen behind closed doors, and that will be the next question. Uh, by the way, and I'm going to chuck that one uh, your way, MP, about uh, what do we think about uh, events uh, happening behind closed doors. But what do I think, Jerry? I think we're going to see a steady stream of decisions, at least. Uh, lots of interesting statements from lots of interesting people, not least um, not least about Stefan Mattel this afternoon uh, for the future of the uh, GT World Challenge Europe. And he's maintaining a position where he has several lines of defence to maintain his 10-race schedule for that. Uh, Mateus Longo, though, says, Hi, gents. What are your opinions on having closed race gates at NASCAR, announced day for Atlanta, and Homestead? Hmm. I grasp the reasoning why, which is we've already sent everything. Everyone's there, or I I realise in NASCAR they've announced a couple in a row, but basically... For what's coming up this weekend, uh, there's people there. The full broadcast setup is in place. Let's do this with the most minimal risk. The thing that... I get it. I think that might end up being something that works for a little while. The thing that I'm concerned about, though... I have an inquiry into IndyCar right now. I haven't heard back. And it's on this subject. So in Formula One, what we've seen in Melbourne, we've had, I believe, the organizers of the event and the series itself uh, really just try and test and check everybody in the paddock. There's been an active effort knowing that a lot of people have come in from all over the world to try and make sure, are you okay? Do you have any symptoms? Please self-report. Just They've tried to create a, a mechanism to ascertain if the people putting on the race have the virus i won't pretend to know if you know true testing kits have been used with every single person or not i just know from the variety of things i've read there's an active effort to learn as to whether the virus has hit those in race control running the cars etc 
I have not heard if and what IndyCar is doing, for example. The entire paddock is there right now in St. Petersburg. Uh, I did hear from someone that they're actually handing out a questionnaire asking folks to answer, I think, three questions. Have you been to these regions in the last X amount of time? Have you done this? Do you have a fever? You got to any trying to find out. But I don't know if we're talking actual testing for the virus itself, Graham. We do know that with some folks in Melbourne, self-reporting, self-isolating, and some others who've been, at least from what I've read, who've been truly tested for coronavirus and been flagged as having contracted it, we now have an entire event that appears to be canceled maybe. Who knows? I've read another thing just a few moments ago that, no, now it's back on, but no fans. I think if we hear from IndyCar based upon their testing methods, assuming they're going to have testing methods, I'm unclear and waiting to find out. If we learn that the refueler for vehicle X or the driver over here has it, I think we're going to go down the same path like the NBA has. Oh, one player has it. That's enough. That player has been in contact, you know, banging elbows and shoulders and sweating and breathing on all kinds of folks over the last couple of days and games. This is enough. This is our version of patient zero. So what I'm curious to see here is even though we have some instances where the race is going on, but no fans are going to be here, well, using the NBA, they've said, well, one, one, just one of our players caused us to stop the rest of the season because they got ill. We've seen F1 kind of go that route, but we're still waiting. There's just been really inexplicable indecision, Graham, on making a decision on what to do there. I don't know what NASCAR's steps are to ensure that no one in the paddock is sick, but if we find out that one or two happen to be and have been in and around and exposed to other crew members, I do think we might see this NBA-style thing take place. Keep in mind, tonight, prior to the NBA shutting down their season, my local Golden State Warriors were going to play the very first NBA game in reaction to the coronavirus with no fans. And so that was something they put in place. Okay, well, we'll still do it, but no fans out of health safety. The moment Utah Jazz Center Rudy Gobert was diagnosed, that was taken off the table as an option. So I would be surprised if we learn IndyCar, NASCAR, pick the other racing series where folks might be found to be uh, stricken with the virus if a similar we are hitting the pause button and no longer racing move might be made. Forget the running to an empty house. We just might not do this at all because we're trying to contain the outbreak in our paddock itself. That's my guess. Let's move on. And uh, something of a different uh, pace, but a different tone from Jerry Harding. Not really a question, he says, but a comment. Sebring in November will be quite the change of pace. Weather may be cooler, the threat of rain will be less. And he says we can fry turkeys in Green Park in honour of Thanksgiving Day. Stay safe and wash those hands, he says. There is that, isn't there? That the, the one positive we can take out of the announcements we've had for significant racing today is that Sebring is going to be one for the ages. It's going to be a very different race meeting MP. And I bet there's price gouging going on already for November hotels. Um, 
Yeah, I. It's funny that and because I'm a smart ass and I'm trying not to be, but there's a part of me that wondered if they were also going to going to announce this as the Wheels Down Winter Test as well. It's just about twelve hours long too. Um, I yeah, I've been there in November and it tends to be pretty darn nice, uh, not as hot and steamy as usual. So I'm hoping that I will be able to go, uh, knowing that I was not going to be able to go. Uh, this year, obviously, with my wife uh, needing me to be home helping her. Um, yeah, that could be very different. And also, knowing that Laguna Seca and Petit Le Mans have been the season finales for quite some time, if we look at the linkage from the American Le Mans series into IMSA, uh, not having one of those two as the finale, I think it might be interesting. I think it might be really interesting. Plus... This is grand assumptions made, as my voice doth protest. I recorded about four-plus hours of podcast yesterday and didn't get a lot of sleep, so I apologize. My voice is more trash than usual. The thing that a lot of provisos in mind strikes me as being very fascinating is if we do get the IMSA season back and running here somewhat soon and we can have a decent number of races to then call it a championship, how fascinating that we would be in almost a WEC uh, super season type scenario where we've got, you know, as mentioned here, we've got that 12 hours of, oh, man, (laughs) not as if 10 hours at, at Road Atlanta is easy, but we know that Sebring loves to break cars in ways that no other track in North America can or does. So, yeah, for those heading into Petit Le Mans, it's usually been that we just got to survive. Don't do anything crazy. Do anything dumb. We'll be fine. Sebring, yeah, that is not a plan-compliant motor racing circuit. And I think that could, if we do have a season... Uh, that could jumble things considerably. Now, we said it was going to be a short edition. Let's call this one the last question. It's from Ant Hill. Correct name. Um, and he says, given all the cancellations, sorry, postponements, well, actually, it's both of events, what's the impact on the average motorsport employee? How many will lose their livelihoods? Will motorsport see this as an opportunity for a reset in many areas? So it's a kind of expansion, isn't it, of that question from Jan Hans earlier about the freelancers amongst which I think are a massive proportion uh, in motorsport. But uh, as for employees, what say you, MP? Definitely going to be dealing with two separate dynamics here, that being the actual employee versus the contractor. And in motor racing, boy, we have a lot of contractors. Those are independent businessmen and businesswomen. I think of... What? Uh, the smoking dog. I think of um, all the folks who provide food service, uh, Marians and such, um, who are dependent upon income from people to oh. provide their independent services. So for Graham, the uh, for those who are contract service providers, this is going to be a very challenging discussion because we have a situation where teams like michael shank mentioned he has employees he has put money away he is able to pay them whether they are or are not racing for a finite period of time for those 
like I was for the majority of my career who are dependent upon a daily rate or a negotiated rate per event, whatever it was, some form of, you have a contract that pays you. When you show up and do your job, you get money for it. But if you don't, there is no money waiting for you. You are not an employee. Mm -hmm. Those are the folks I'm worried about, and there are far too many of them in motor racing. I I can't tell you what the percentage is, but I just know that, boy, when we talk about going to Sebring, if we were there next weekend... Outside of the factory teams, uh, I'd say that you'd be surprised at how many people are employed via contract or some form of fly-in deal where, you know, they do this service for folks just on race weekends. There are even situations where folks who are at the shop working 40, 60 hours a week are contract compared to regular employees. Those are the folks that I'm worried about. There's going to be a stress test there too, I would say, Graham. I'll go back to the NBA example. Uh, the team owner of the Dallas Mavericks, Mark Cuban, somewhat well-known billionaire, said immediately after this news came down, all of the hourly employees, all the, the non-athletic you know athletic members, those folks are on the payroll. But the hourly employees at the arena, for example, who serve the hot dogs and help park the cars and et cetera, all the, the support staff who are hourly folks dependent upon events to work to get money he said he was going to cover all their salaries obviously as a billionaire that's an amazing gesture there are some billionaires and and high number millionaires in our sport in terms of team owners but not everybody there's probably more elton julians and michael shanks who would have to start selling personal assets could be a house could be a car could be whatever to really cover the bills if they wanted to take care of their contract employees uh, for more than a, you know, a brief period of time. So it's a great question. And I'll tell you, I've read some things from a couple of friends who are very worried, who pay their bills, feed their kids, do all the things they need through the money that comes in getting on a plane, climbing into a car, going to track X, doing that service, and getting rewarded for it with money. And like we mentioned earlier, you take the race car off the track and some teams are in jeopardy. You take the people away who change the tires on those cars or take the car away and the track away from the people who change those tires, take those photos, write those press releases, uh, deliver the hospitality, uh, food, or again, so many levels of what we do here uh, in supporting motor racing comes through contract employment. This is going to be the scary part. And I hope it's a blind hope, but I hope nonetheless that there, we find out that there are a lot of our versions of Mark Cubans of the, the wealthy team owner, the wealthy pro-am driver, whomever that says, I love you. We're going to get through this. We don't know when we're going to get back to racing and doing the thing we love, but I want to make sure you are whole and make sure that you're here and your family is able to survive. So if I have to pay while you are not delivering the services that you've contracted to do for reasons outside of your control, I want to make sure that we're still here and healthy as a group when we can go racing again. That's the sincere hope. I think that's a good way to finish this, isn't it? Uh, The sincere hope is stay well, everybody. 
whatever your thoughts about uh, the risk to you or to the people around you, please, please listen to the advice we're being given. Please follow it. Uh, don't be that guy, don't be that girl that uh, finds out their cost that they possibly should have done. Um, yes, my thoughts go out to absolutely everybody in this fantastic industry a part of uh, MP. Tough times ahead. Um, yes, we're not going to see some racing. That small beer when it comes to the fact we're talking about people's livelihoods. But that small beer will be talking about people's lives. And that's the order of precedence that's being applied, I think, correctly at the moment. Um, we are going to hashtag wait and see what comes up in the coming days, weeks, and I believe months. Let's hope that the course we're on now starts to have a positive impact on the ability for yet another, frankly, piece of shit virus um, that is looking to defeat uh, the human spirits and the human body. Uh, that can be beaten and beat quickly. Um, I'm sure I'll join you, MP, in wishing our listeners uh, all the very best for the weeks to come. Let's hope there's little less bad news to come than we fear at the moment um, and that we've got more positive things to say when it's time for the Week in Sports Cars next week. And once again, we will say thank you to everyone who sent in their questions. Hopefully some of you are giggling at the fact that the uh, general time length I suggested at the beginning of the show, which of course the moment I do that, it does not happen. And also a great thank you to Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers for their invaluable support in what we do and your help in delivering a quality product that they want to be a part of, reaffirmed yet again this week in conversations with them. I am Marshall Pruitt. That is my brother, Graham Goodwin. Thank you for listening to The Week in Sports Cars. We will speak to you next week.